With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. Today is um, June the uh, 27th. Um, of course, this will be the last Monday of this month. And uh, we are continuing with Camel through uh, Needle's Eye. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you, dear Lord, for uh, the sunshine and... Um, and the warmth that will be there. And Lord, I just pray for those people that uh, recently lost their lives in the floods and uh, the people that lost their homes and lives in, in fires, dear Lord. Lord, uh, weather-wise, we are, we are going through some rough times, Heavenly Father, and I just pray that those that love you and know you are reaching out and supporting those, dear Lord, that have lost so much. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you just continue to be with each and every one of us as we continue to go through these times of trouble. And Lord, I just thank you for, for, for your love, for being there, for caring for us, dear Heavenly Father. And I just hope and pray, dear Lord, through all this that's going on, that those that don't know you get a chance to, to be witness to, dear Lord, to, to come to know you and be comforted to know that it's in your hands, you know, whether uh, something is lost, it's, it's not their lives, you know, dear Lord, because uh, that's what's all important, is the relationship with you. And now, Lord, I just pray that you just bless this reading and bless the ears that hear that, dear Lord, and I just give you the praise, and I just look forward to the end. The things that you have available for me this day, I just pray that you give me strength to do my job well and um, and just enjoy the people that I work with and, um, and the people that we encounter this day. I just pray that you just open my eyes and my ears, dear Lord, and if a word needs to be spoken, dear Lord, let me speak. Give me the boldness to speak out in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue with uh, Camel Through the Needle's Eye. And uh, I left off um, last time with the parable ends with striking phrase, rich toward God. The beauty of the goal of being rich toward God is that it is available to anyone, anywhere. And it is a wealth that endures. Knowing God is a wealth that endures. So, we begin... The great chasm. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in a luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus beside, by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip 
the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And that's Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. Here is another one of the rich man in hell parables found only in Luke's gospel. In this one, the rich man's eternal fate is shown in contrast to the eternal lot of a poor beggar. The parable is an unforgettable illustration of the woes Jesus pronounced on the rich. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. The details in the parable are well chosen. We take fabric dyes for granted, and even the poorest people can obtain clothing in all sorts of colors. But in ancient times, the choices were more limited, which is why the mention of the rich man's garments are so important. Dressed in purple refers to the distinctive and expensive dye made in Tyree from seashells. Its cost is the reason that purple in the ancient world was associated with wealth. Even royalty, if this man was dressed in purple, Luke is saying he was rich as a king. By contrast, the poor beggar Lazarus is licked by the dogs. The dog in this situation are not house pets, but mongrel dogs of the streets. Lazarus was on the lowest rung of the social ladder. Lazarus is longing to be fed exactly the phrase used of the prodigal son when he is down on his luck. This is the only parable of Jesus in which a character is given a name, and the choice of the name is probably deliberate. Lazarus is a form of the Old Testament name Eleazar, meaning God help him or God has helped. The name is appropriate for certainly Lazarus was not helped by his fellow man. Did you know, in centuries past, a home to people with leprosy was called the Lazaretio, the Lazaretio, A-L-Z-A-R-E-T-T-O, based on the baker Lazarus in Jesus' parable. The parable does not say Lazarus had leprosy, only that he was covered with sores. The fact that he sat outside the rich man's gate, meant he did not have leprosy, for lepers had to 
keep their distance from people. Lazarus dies and is carried away by the angels, the implication being that his body was left in the street, unburied. The parable says that the rich man died and he was buried. Being rich, he would have a lavish funeral, with Lazarus presumably had no funeral at all. The Greek text refers to Abraham's bosom, meaning his chest. Lazarus is shown as a bosom friend of Abraham, reclining at his side in heaven, hardly what Jesus' listeners expected. On earth, Lazarus had no table, nor was he invited to anyone else's. In heaven, he is not only seated at the banquet table, but is at the side of Abraham, an honored guest of the man the Jews regarded as their physical and spiritual ancestor. Abraham, the rich patriarch, and Lazarus, the poor beggar, are bosom buddies in the afterlife. The rich man in hell sees Lazarus in heaven at Abraham's side and calls out to Father Abraham, even though it was now clear that his descendant from Abraham has not helped him enter heaven. The rich man knows Lazarus' name, which might seem odd, but it implies he knew the beggar at his gate had a name and identity, and so it makes him even more culpable for doing nothing to help him. The rich man in hell still thinks of Lazarus as an inferior, asking Abraham to send Lazarus down to quench his fire and to warn his brothers of their impending doom. Everything the rich man says to Abraham involves denial, blame-shifting, spiritual blindness. It is interesting that Lazarus has a name, but the rich man does not. He is not a full soul, but only a rich man, defined by his possessions. Abraham addresses the rich man as T-E-K-N-O-N, child. He is not harsh, but what follows shows that justice must be done regardless. The rich man had lived in comfort and luxury while Lazarus lived on the edge of starvation, and now things are reversed. The rich man seems to think or hope that Lazarus can appear to his brothers in a dream or vision and warn them to repent. He seems to assume that they will be convinced by a supernatural sign, just as Jesus' foes kept asking him for a sign. Abraham says that if he did not heed the laws of the prophets, a perfectly good guide to conduct a sign will have no effect on them. Cultural insight here. Heaven watching hell. The Jews of Jesus' day believed that the righteous in paradise behold the wicked in hell and rejoice in their agonies, and likewise the agonies of the wicked's are made worse at seeing the joys of paradise from a distance. The burning thirst of those in hell is a common feature of such stories, and also the fact that they can converse from one side to the other. The righteous in paradise are often depicted beside cool springs while the wicked are tormented with thirst. In the parable, Lazarus in heaven does not rejoice over the rich man's fate. 
Lazarus never speaks, which is commendable in himself. He would be a less appealing character if he taunted the rich man in hell, or if he spoke of the suffering he endured while on earth. The rich man seems to think that, uh, okay, we got to that point, rise. It is noteworthy that the rich man, aside from being a success by normal standards, is not depicted as some notorious sinner. We are told nothing of his morality or whether he was observant of the law, his great sin and his indifference to suffering that he could see literally at his gate. The Old Testament often refers to a dead person as being at rest with his fathers, his ancestors. In the parable, the irony is that it is pitiful beggar, not the rich man, who is rest with Abraham. Clearly, not all of Abraham's many descendants will be with him. Rich and cozy and lukewarm. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and slave to put on your eyes and salve, salve, uh, yeah, salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And that's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and 19. In the book of Revelation, Jesus in heaven speaks to the Apostle John, giving him seven messages to churches in the Roman providence of Asia. The last of the seven messages is directed to the Christians in the prosperous city of Lacedonia, or Lacedia, while the message to the first six churches were a mix of praise and criticism. The message to Lacedia is all criticism. The believers there are lazy in their faith, lukewarm, taking comfort in their material prosperity, not realizing their deep spiritual needs. They are not guilty of any grave sin, but of something just as spiritually deadly, self-satisfaction. The lukewarm quality of the Lacedonians' faith made Lacedonia unto the objective, meaning lukewarm, bells, mediocre. The Lacedonians' water supply from some nearby springs was literally lukewarm, unlike cold water, good for drinking or hot water valued for its healing properties, lukewarm water was worth nothing. The actual Greek word translated spit or spew 
in some versions, in fact, means vomit. Lacedonia had suffered a great earthquake in A.D. 60, but declined any assistance from Rome, and instead rebuilt itself, an achievement the city was proud of. But this pride in its material wealth concealed the spiritual poverty. Jesus mocks the spiritual emptiness by referring to three things the city was famous for. Gold, a luxurious wool made from black sheep, and an eye slav produced by the local medical school. He urges, he urges them to buy real gold, not the metal kept in the city's many banks, but spiritual treasure. He tells them to buy white clothes to wear, meaning spiritual purity, and to buy eyesight that will allow them to see their own failings for what they are. Jesus' words to the Lacedonians are harsh, but they are a warning from one who loves them. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. The sole objective if anyone could come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And that's Matthew sixteen twenty four, twenty six. And of course, our memory verse, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? This immediately followed Jesus telling the disciples that he, the Messiah, would have to suffer many things. Here he turns the focus back on them. As followers of a suffering Messiah, they must be prepared to bear their own crosses, deny meaning to say no or to refuse. While the word is mostly used in a negative sense, people refusing to admit they know Jesus, it is used in the positive sense when applied to the self, as in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and elsewhere. Denying oneself means saying no to oneself. Saying yes to Jesus involves saying no to oneself. Luke adds that the disciple must take up his cross daily. Also in Luke, Jesus addressed the words to everyone that it is all his followers, not just the twelve disciples. Jesus makes it clear in the Gospels that he must suffer and die in Jerusalem and makes it equally clear that those who truly follow him can expect the same treatment. In a sense, he was warning everyone to prepare for an appointment in Jerusalem. Deny oneself, take up the cross, follow. These are what constitute Christian loyalty. The difficulty of doing so isn't just an inevitable ordeal in the future, but in fact something that is done daily. A man may be crucified only once, but he can meet with many large and small persecutions along the way. Jesus' hearers would have all seen men on their way to be crucified 
bearing their own crosses. They would know not just of the physical horror, but the fact that such men would be mocked by passerby at the dreads of humanity. For most people of faith throughout history, the physical suffering is infrequent, while mockery and exclusion occur more often. Follow me is hard saying for us. Our whole society tells us toward being in charge of our destinies, calling our own shots, and following after Jesus, we, in a sense, lose our lives, and we lose the world. Yet we gain real life. The word translated gains is K-E-R-D-A-I-N-E-I-N. I'm not even referring to the pursuit of wealth, money, power, and success. The contrasting word loss is Z-E-M-I-O-U-N. And in business translations of the period, the two Greek words were used to refer to profit and loss. Jesus is saying that those who look at life from a profit and loss perspective have to write theirs off as loss. The Greek word translated soul here is P-S-U-C-H-E, sometimes written psych, and obviously the root word of our word psychology. Jesus and the Jews of his day did not think of a soul as an immaterial thing distant from the body. Rather, it was the real self of a person. Some modern translations use life instead of soul. Either way, Jesus' meaning was that if we choose to live unselfishly as people do, we end up losing our real selves, not saving them. The way to save the self is astonishing, to deny the self. Jesus offered people glory at great cost. This kind of honesty has never appealed to a mass audience, yet it appeals to the heroic spark hidden in some people. The greatest aspect of his challenge is that he did not ask people to do anything he could not do himself. Men respect the leader who will walk where they walk. We sense this in the writings of Paul, his courage and his fire coming from his knowledge of serving a master who could endure the cross. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It is wrong to assume that Jesus meant that any kind of suffering was taking up the cross. All people suffer more or less, but here he is referring to suffering based on conscious choices. That is suffering that we can choose to avoid if we wish. Jesus was not so much crucified as a political radical 
nor as a blasphemer, but as a nonconformist. And this is the kind of cross he means. To live a God-centered life in this world is to invite trouble. The New Testament itself makes it clear that not every kind of suffering in life is the cross that Jesus spoke of. There are plenty of other passages in the Bible that comfort us through the stress and strains of daily life. But here the cross is the suffering that results from being a follower of Jesus. Did you know after a political decision that uh, generated a lot of criti criticism, President Harry Truman said, what would Jesus have preached if he had taken a poll in Israel? And Truman's point was that doing and saying what is right must be truth-driven, not poll-driven. Such wages. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And that's Luke chapter 12, verse 32. This can comforting verse follows the parable of the rich fool Luke chapter 12 verse 16 21 and the teaching about the foolishness of the being anxious over material goods why should people fret over such small things when God is pleased to give them an everlasting kingdom here is one case of Jesus using a rather tender expression little flock Many times in the Old Testament, God is referred to Israel, shepherd, and Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. With him watching over us, we need not live in fear, neither fear of the world that is often hostile, nor our own anxieties about material things. God does not give the kingdom grudgingly, but willingly. It is his pleasure to give it. Yet he does not give it to those who live the world's way, who makes themselves slaves to material things, or who live in a state of dread because they will not trust him to provide all the lives' necessities. He gives the kingdom to the little flock, those who trust the shepherd to guide and protect them. And speaking these words, Jesus was giving mankind something of infinite worth, hope. People often say that hope for happiness, but in fact hope itself is a form of happiness. It is clear the New Testament that whether we are poor or rich here on earth, material things do not ultimately bring satisfaction. We were made to find our only real pleasure in the kingdom of God. Did you know that the noted Chinese author and evangelist Watchman Ni, 1903 to 1972, founded the Little Flock Movement, which takes its name from this passage. Putting the Word to Work What is highly valued among men detestable in God's sight is one of the greatest themes of the Bible. 
as you go through the day, apply this verse to what you see and hear on television, in advertisements, in magazines, and people's conversations. Reflect on the phrase, rich toward God, which concludes the parable of the rich farmer. Consider the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, in which the rich man ignored the beggar at the gate. Is there a Lazarus in your own life, some needy person nearby that you could aid in some way? And Jesus spoke harshly against the lukewarm and self-satisfied people of Lacedia. Take a good look at your own spiritual life and determine if you are lukewarm in some areas. And those who would follow Jesus are told to deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Think of the ways you can practice this on a day-by-day -day basis. Well, that concludes Camel Through the Needle's Eye. And we'll get together Wednesday and we'll do the wind blows where it pleases. Heavenly Father, I just thank you once again this opportunity to share words of understanding I hope and pray dear Lord that reaches and touches the hearts of those that know you and those that do not dear Lord I hope and pray that they'll reach out and want to know who you are that they'll want to bring you into their lives and Lord I just continue to ask for your blessings and your prayer I pray for those my prayer goes out to those dear Lord that are suffering this day because of the fires and waters. And Lord, I just know that you're in control. I rest assured in that. But yet, Lord, I just pray that you just comfort those that need you as you continue to comfort me each and every second of the day. Bless the family, Lord. Bless the family. Keep us safe and guide us as we go about our day. As I enjoy you, let me continue to raise a praise in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great and glorious day, and uh, we will see you on Wednesday. Be kind to one another. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.